Now, there are pros and cons for everybody's job. Matter of fact, I can think of our tech team, who is amazing people. Uh, I can think of a pro of dressing up and acting like ninjas on Sunday morning at church, hiding around, have iPads, making sure everything's done. Hey, give it up for our tech team. They do a ton of work around here. Here's something I absolutely positively love from a youth minister's perspective. There are junior high, high school, college, young adult, young adult and age-impaired people a part of that team. Okay? You can be anywhere. You can, you can serve in this church. You can find a spot. Uh, now, there's pros and cons to every job. I want you to, real quick, take a second and think of your very first job. Mine was Ponderosa. Anybody been to Ponderosa before? You're too embarrassed? That's okay. That's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, I, I, uh, I washed dishes at Ponderosa at, at 16 because my mom looked at me and said, it's time. So I got a job at Ponderosa. Um, now, there were some positives and negatives of Ponderosa. Being a dishwasher, it's gross. It's disgusting. There's chicken wing bones everywhere, and you're going to clean other people's plates. It's not necessarily fun. But a pro was there was an unlimited supply of cookie dough in the refrigerator. Okay? I'm not saying that was a high moral decision by John Muffler at 17. But I liked my job because of cookie dough. Um, now, there are positives and negatives of being a minister. There are some great positives. I love the fact that Christians eat. They eat all the time. Whenever I have meetings, I hang out with students or adults, and it's either counseling or hanging out, just getting to know people or trying to get people plugged into ministry. It's always a cup of coffee or a Chipotle burrito or meeting at somebody's house, and there's shepherd's pie or lasagna. Christians love to eat. Uh, when I first started in ministry, I was about 140 pounds. Um, let's just say I'm happy to be in ministry. Now, again, there's cons to work for a church. I'm not going to go into detail because I want to continue to work in church. But one of the negatives I can think of is the way people interact with me once they find out that I am a minister that works for a church. Um, some of my family, as a matter of fact, most of my family uh, do not go to church, don't believe in Jesus. And so basically, I would imagine they think of me as some professional Christian. Um, and it leads to interesting looks. Interesting conversations. I've had more than my few fair share of time sitting in the backyard, hanging out with a brand new neighbor or somebody new and having a conversation. And it eventually turns to, oh, what do you, what do, you do? And I'm like, oh, I have the opportunity to be on staff as one of uh, the ministers at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. And you can literally see the body language go, oh. Matter of fact, one thing that I absolutely love is um, uh, years and years ago, before kids, uh, I golfed a lot. I, I, I hung out with my uh, stepdad, Dave, and, and we would golf, and the two of us would eventually get paired up with some other two people playing golf, you know, for some kind of a thing. And about round, or about hole seven, the conversation finally came up of, oh, so what do you do, John? I'm like, well, I'm a minister. And it's amazing how language changes, attitudes change. And it's, and it's not like I'm saying, stop cursing, stop screaming at squirrel. You know what I mean? It's, it's golf. <laughs> golf is frustrating. Okay? Um, matter of fact, preparing for this message, in all honesty, I had to take a sobering look at my life and say, that's, that's the extent that I have suffered for my faith. I've had people roll their eyes. I've had people say, I'm not talking to that guy again. And the relationship doesn't go any farther. I have people look at me and think, well, I don't want to ask you hard questions because obviously you're skewed on this. 
I have no scars because of my faith. I do not fear for my children's safety because of my faith. If I look back the last 20 years of being a Christian, 17 years in, in, in church ministry, suffering isn't necessarily the topic that I would be great to present. But hi, I'm here. <laughs> So this is what we're going to do. Matter of fact, here's going to be a video clip in just a second. If you're anything like me and you can take really a, a step back and say, well, I, I've maybe lost some friends or maybe I have some estranged relationships with my family now that I'm a follower of Christ. Maybe I didn't get that promotion. And that's suffering. Don't get me wrong. That is. But I think maybe you and I in the culture that we live in might miss the boat on what suffering really looks like for a believer of Christ. Uh, this video clip is from Christ in Youth. We take uh, a bunch of high schoolers uh, every summer. We take over a college campus, and Christ in Youth is basically uh, like a summer camp on steroids. It's fantastic. It's amazing. They produced this video to point out that around the world today, this morning, suffering for our faith looks different in different cultures. This is Love Costs Everything. Just a clip. Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world at present. 100 to 200 million Christians at any one time under persecution. So it is a major human rights issue. If you care about human rights, you should care about persecution, especially persecution of Christians. These night vision images shot from an American unmanned aircraft captured the moment a bomb went off at the Church of Our Lady of Salvation. We used to have 1.2 million Christians in Iraq. Now we have probably got less than 200,000. If you're anything like me, suffering because of my faith is not an everyday struggle. I see something like this, and the, the, the full movie is, I'm, I'm not going to lie, it's graphic. It's not anything that we're going to show at 930 Church right now. You can look it up online, Christ and Youth. Um, Love costs everything. But when, when I see this, I'm, I'm almost disconnected. That my life isn't living in a position where I have to have armed guards drive me to church. Because of my faith, there are people today, this morning, hundreds of millions of believers in Christ, this morning and other places, that don't necessarily have the opportunities to have what we have here. The freedoms, the comfort, air conditioning, things like that. Often, uh, we have a misguided view of spiritual sufferings. A lot of us suffer because of our own fault, because of our own sin. Now, there's different ways that this world brings pain to us, and we suffer. First one is that you and I, we do ridiculous things sometimes. Sometimes we rebel and damage other people with our actions, with our words. We find ourselves in a situation that it's, it's painful. And there's repercussions to it. We suffer because of our own actions. Another one is we suffer because of the actions of other people. People that we don't know sometimes. People that we are madly in love with. But because of their actions, we are now damaged. We suffer. And the last one is this world is a broken place and sometimes suffering just comes knocking on our door for no reason. Growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, lived next to a small little river, you might have heard of it, called the Mississippi. Every few decades, the Mississippi floods. 
And not just like, oh, look, it's, the river's a little high, but oh, wow, there's 10,000 families without a home now. This was not caused by one person. This was not the act. This is just because of a broken world. Sometimes suffering comes knocking on our door. Some people in here may be experiencing suffering because of their faith to some degree. Your story is your story. It's not mine. I might not know exactly what's happening in your life. But a lot of us may not really get it, this idea of suffering. We live in a culture that is lukewarm towards faith of any kind. Suffering looks different from culture to culture. Here in America, if you say, oh, I'm a follower of Christ, most people will look at you and go, meh. We live in a lukewarm culture when it comes to faith. Now, this morning, we're on week four of our Living Hope series. We'll be walking through 1 Peter chapter four. So if you'd like, if you want to get out your phones, your tablets, um, you want to go analog, you've got a Bible in front of you, we're turning to 1 Peter chapter four. And 1 Peter four is about suffering for our faith. Now, I had a hard time putting this one together. My wife and I uh, sit down, and, and, and to be honest, she should probably get credit for writing most of the sermon, and I'm okay with it. That's fine with me. Um, she gives me the idea. She's like, John, how can you persuade people to maybe not feel like they're in their seat this morning in Bloomington? So we're going we're gonna to play a little game. Let's use our imaginations. What if we're having church not in Bloomington? Maybe we're living in northern Myanmar, my wife and daughters have been displaced due to a civil war. You and I do not have homes anymore. We live in tents. Maybe I'd be preaching this message outside my tent in some camp that you and I would look different. We would dress different. We would smell different. We would have a different understanding of what suffering for our faith truly looks like. Now, the Burmese Christians are 4% among majority Buddhists. They've lost land that's needed for crops, they don't have opportunities to provide for their family. They have been set aside in their own tiny little community. They can't work outside that community. They can't move outside that community. They're basically just picked up and said, we're going to forget about you. You stay over here. Can you put your family, the names of the people that you love, in that situation? Because they're there this morning. Well, what if we were uh, sitting in India? Maybe there's a, a church service. Maybe the pastor is preaching on 1 Peter chapter 4. Maybe the preacher stands up and says, wow, we've got story after story that God is just moving and grooving, and the church in India is growing leaps and bounds. But as he puts his hands out to try to get your attention to focus, you see scars. You see broken bones. You see burns. You see a follower of Christ in that community, a bunch of believers in Jesus in that community that's hostile to the gospel. You see people with scars, with damage, that has mis been mistreated. They've been put in different positions and places where their kids are no longer safe. If we were not just here in Bloomington in this beautiful building, if we were in India, we would see and have different stories. Christians that lived uh, Christians have lived in Iraq for centuries, but in the last few years, over 100,000 families have been displaced by ISIS. ISIS, uh, or no, excuse me, Iraqi Christians are 6% the population among the majority uh, Muslims. ISIS has allowed them to live, but confiscated everything, their homes, their businesses, uh, their possessions. Now, when we think of Iraq, sometimes I think just the desert in the middle of nowhere. These Iraqi Christians were as developed and had a lifestyle very similar to us. They had homes, jobs, cars, 
maybe not 401ks, but retirements. They had uh, children and grandchildren in school that they could trust that they were going to be safe and get a great education. Then all of a sudden, it was gone. All of it's been taken away. These aren't just people that we think, oh, they're living in a desert in a tent and that's what they're used to and they're no, this is like you and I. Can you imagine it? Can you put yourself, your family, your loved ones in the situation that today everything changed, everything was taken away, taken away? Can we put ourselves in there? Because when we talk about suffering for faith, sometimes you and I, we don't have a clear picture. I can go on and on because there are real stories of our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world this morning. Middle East, Asia, Africa, even some areas of South America. Suffering means something different to our family members in a different culture. Literally hundreds of thousands of people today around the world are suffering because of their faith. They are discriminated against, arrested, threatened, imprisoned, tortured, placed into slavery, and murdered because of Jesus. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. This is an important topic for Christ followers all over the world. This text in 1 Peter 4 is a very real, it's very real to many people. And sometimes we need to take a pause in our busy lives and our circumstances and say, wait a minute, what, what does this look like other places? What does this look like here? So we're going to walk through 1 Peter 4 this morning, see how we can get a better understanding, a fresh perspective on suffering. Now, 1 Peter was written somewhere between 64 and 68 AD. Those are two fairly um, big events in the early church in that time. 64 AD, uh, Tom uh, talked about this a few weeks ago. Rome was basically burned to the ground. Some reports say half, some say two-thirds, three-fourths. So basically Rome, this juggernaut, this powerhouse, uh, politically huge army in this world, basically burns to the ground. And there's ramifications. There is frustration. You have people without jobs. You have people without houses. You have injured people. You have people that no longer in existence. You have orphans running around. You have mass hysteria. And guess what those people are going to do? They're going to get angry at someone. Nero at the time says, well, I don't want that to be me. Let's let's maybe focus our attention on this new upstart religion called Christians. Let's maybe, let's, let's put them in the bullseye because it, it's, it's killing two birds with one stone. Nero says that, you know what, I don't want to be uh, known for the guy who's done this or, or the ruler that's over this. Let's blame Christians. And matter of fact, if I blame the Christians, I'll get the Jews on my side because, to be honest, they were ruffling the feathers of the Jews. So it was a win-win for Nero. This is when persecution became reality. Nero was a not nice gentleman, as Tom pointed out, he would um, stick Christians on poles, light them on fire for his garden parties at night. They would uh, feed them to the dogs, dress them up in animal skins, lions and, and all sorts of beasts, devour people because they believed in Jesus Christ. He was not a very nice man. Now, 68 AD, it's commonly thought of as when Peter died. He was martyred. He was killed under, Rome, uh, killed under Nero. Uh, matter of fact, oral tradition, oral tradition states that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't find it worthy to be crucified like his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter tells the readers that suffering is just around the corner if 
it's not already there. So let's go. First Peter 4, 1 through 4. You can cheat. You can, you can do whatever you want. It'll probably be on, on the screen. Uh, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, uh, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless lifestyle, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Now, Peter is saying, listen, if you've tasted the freedom of Jesus, if you have experienced this grace that we are no longer slaves to sins, Peter says we are out of the sinning business. We are out of the business of what the world considers normal. We are chasing after and trying to live a life such like God to honor him. We try to stay away from sin. Suffering here, uh, Peter says, that develops perseverance. Perverse, uh, perseverance leads to character development. Have you ever been caught doing the right thing? Now, I don't know about you, most of the difficult lessons that I've had to learn in my life is because I chose poorly. I got caught, I got slapped on my hand, and it's been a redirect, an understanding of cooperation with God. I have better character. You and I develop character when the world pushes back against us. We are no longer sinners. We are no longer people that are chasing after what this world wants. We are now chasing after who Jesus is and that develops our characters. Now outsiders, non-Christians, will look at us differently because we no longer live a life that's focused on self. There's gonna be pushback, Peter says. Matter of fact, there's gonna be people that you used to hang out with, party with, enjoy life to, uh, together with, maybe even your own family, maybe even your own workplace that say, hey, you're different and that disturbs me. How, are, why are you different? Why aren't you hanging out and doing these things anymore? And they're gonna abuse you and I. They're gonna push back and say, mm -mm. now, when you live a life of self, it's not really that big of a deal. People don't pay much attention, but when you start living a life like Christ, people start pushing back. Former friends and family will abuse you because of our faith. We push away from suffering because it's painful. So sometimes as Christians, we kind of lay low. Does that make sense? We kind of say, well, I'm going to live my life, but I'm not going to really interact. We're, we're going to circle the wagons, maybe, maybe make sure nobody knows really who I am and what I'm doing. But Peter says, it's, it's coming. If it's not here already, it's going to find you. Peter calls us out not to blend in to this life, but to be boldly honoring Christ through it, even through the pain. John 15, 20 says this, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they'll also obey yours. 11 out of the 12 uh, disciples, lives ended because of their belief system. One of the greatest testaments for a faith grower, for a faith uh, for me, is seeing men and women that believe something so strongly they're willing to alter and end their life because of it. I would look at this and say, I might live for a lie, but I'm not going to die for a lie. I'm going to live my life so firmly on Christ that even if the waves and the pushback come my way, Peter says, you are honoring God. Um, Peter also says, let us not be shocked that we will suffer because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered his entire life. Sometimes I, I lose the idea that he just suffered on the cross. But to be real honest, guys, every second of his life, he was in a position 
to be mocked and made fun of. His brothers and sisters looked at him as a half-brother and sister. The neighborhood knew that he was not Joseph's son. People at the gates of the city mocked him, ridiculed him. Drunkards made songs about him. He suffered every day for us. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16 goes on and says this. Dear friends, do not be surprised that the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though some, something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when the glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of uh, Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of God, of glory, and that God rests on you. For if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal, even a meddler, a gossiper, careful. Um, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter right here is straightforward. He says, it's coming. If it hasn't come already, you and I will suffer because of my faith. And obstacles will come that we need to endure and be called blessed because of it. Now, suffering is a common thread in the New Testament. We should not be shocked by this. Because people mistreated our master, our servant, our Lord, our friend, we should expect the same treatment. He even goes on so far to say that when we suffer, we are called blessed because if we live like Christ, we will be accused of wrongdoing like Christ was accused. Like Christ, we will be insulted. We will be mocked for being different, physically harmed because of someone else's hatred, disbelief, or frustration. We are blessed. I know that's a very difficult statement. When we act and live a life so close to Christ, people treat us like they treated Christ. Now, the term Christian was coined by non-believers as an insult. Believers of the time called themselves disciples or saints. Matter of fact, Christian was kind of a, a, kind of a curse word. But we take that mantle, we take that word, and we find pride in it. All right. We're all on a different journey with Jesus. Some may suffer uh, shame and inconvenience. Um, others Throughout this world, maybe we lose it all because of suffering. Now first, um, oh yeah, here, I'm, I'm sorry, I got, my, I got lost. But Peter gives us a formula to adhere to when suffering comes our way. So great, now that we've looked at this idea that we're going to suffer for our faith, what do we do about that? Do we circle the wagon and say, well, I'm going to close and lock the door and make sure nobody comes our way? Because nobody likes to be in pain. Nobody runs towards suffering. But literally in 1 Peter 4, Peter says, here's what we do. Here's what we do as a family of believers, not only for our congregation, for our families, but for the people around the world. 1 Peter 4, 7 says this, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace, of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it um, as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power and ever and ever. So he, he literally gives us a few ideas on how we can combat this idea that suffering is going to come our way. How do we handle it? How do we live through it? Number one, he says, alert and sober-minded to pray. We, church, need to be focused on prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but my, my prayer list is getting a little long nowadays. This broken, devastating world hurts. But let us never forget that whatever we're going through 
our families are going through, our community is going through, our church is going through, and around this world, people are dealing with suffering that maybe we have no idea what's going on. And we need to pray, church, for our family members in Jesus Christ. From around the world in different cultures, we need to get on our knees and we need to pray. The next thing he says is love others um, in the community of believers. The act of love covers over pain and destruction. Um, now, I've got little kids. I love them dearly. Um, and sometimes evil comes out of small children. Uh, my seven-year-old, uh, <laughs> days ago, uh, asked for candy because for crying out loud, it's candy. And I said, well, we normally don't have candy before breakfast. Um, and she gets irritated and says, well, I don't love you anymore and runs and jumps on her bed and cries. You would think she's 17. She's seven. But what I understand is my love, Stacy and I's love for our kids, even if they say and do things that push us away, covers a multitude of sins. Our love should be so overflowing that no matter what my kid says, I'm gonna keep loving her. And if we build that into our church community, if somebody has damaged us, if somebody has said something, talk behind our back, man, if we over love that person, we no longer look at what they've done wrong. We look at who they are in Jesus Christ. Peter says that's number two. Number three, hospitality of those believers that are in need. Now, in this time, this could have been a home church. They didn't have the awesome opportunity to have uh, buildings and structures like this. So back then, it was kind of dangerous to meet in your own home and gather other people, other believers together. Um, they would pray and have communion. They would read the apostles' uh, teachings and, and sing songs of, of hymns and praise, okay? That's kind of dangerous back then. What does that look like today? Let's see, if you gather people in your home to talk about Jesus and feed them, that sounds like a life group, I think Peter's really calling us out. Maybe you don't even want to lead a life group. Maybe you just want to host a life group, a small group, a high school core group that might burn your house down, but in love. <laughs> and last one, our, giftness, our, our giftedness is for others, not ourselves. I love the fact that God equips us with gifts and abilities for other people. Zero spiritual gifts are for yourself. They're for others. And if we as a tapestry of believers, as a puzzle of believers, do our part to minister to others, they do their part to minister and comfort us in suffering, we're a family. It works. So ladies and gentlemen, whatever you're great at, do it for someone else. That's what Peter says. We know suffering's coming, he says. I guarantee it. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But this is, how you, this is how you equip and combat this pain, that we have this living hope of Jesus Christ, that we don't live today for this world, for ourselves, but we live for eternity that we get to spend with Jesus Christ. Church, we can endure suffering. We can pray and do for others, for this community and around the world. Suffering is real, and we will experience it. Ephesians 6.10, we're going to end with this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of a dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly realms. We will suffer if we live like Jesus. Peter says, I guarantee it. You and I, church, if it's not here, it's coming. But what a fantastic opportunity to live our lives in such a way that we are blamed for being like Christ. Blamed for acting, speaking, loving, and providing grace to a broken world. Call it a blessing. 
Not a fun conversation, not a fun topic, but man, what an amazing God we serve that he would give us Jesus Christ so that we can have peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to, in this great nation, that we have freedom to come to a church to praise and worship, to learn, to grow, to share our gifts with other people. Father, I beg you that you would open our eyes to what's happening around the world. They're suffering. Give us opportunities, uh, resources, websites, conversations. Allow the Holy Spirit to work through us so that we can see with fresh new eyes what suffering truly looks like when we stand firm on our faith in Jesus Christ. God, I want to thank you for the opportunities we have and the opportunities you will give us to minister to those who are suffering who are in pain and who are broken. Father, guide us and direct us, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.